Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What would lead a worship pastor to make more than 20 trips to Africa? We'll talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 164, with Wayne Berry. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. I'll be announcing our guest in just a minute, but before I do that, I wanted to mention that I had an interesting conversation with David Bartholomew on Twitter. It was in response to a comment that I made in Episode 161 with Gina Thomas. Here's a little bit of a spoiler. He probably shouldn't be trusted with a hammer either. So there's a couple of us out there. If if you're one of those people that doesn't have any business being on a trip where you're building stuff, take heart. There was uh, there, There's more than one of us. You can check out that entire conversation in this week's show notes page. Also, by the time that you hear this, I'm going to be helping to record and produce an audiobook. I'm actually really excited about that, and I'd appreciate your prayers. One thing that Pastor Wayne Berry asked me to clear up, in this week's interview, he mentioned that he'd been to Africa 36 or 37 times. The number of times is actually more like 26, and he just wanted to make sure that we were being completely honest, so we got that out there. In the interview, we'll just have the wrong number. Also, I am looking to make some changes to the show in the upcoming year. I just want to create a more engaging show. So if you have suggestions or things that maybe I could improve, things that you'd like to see or things that you'd prefer to not see, send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. With that, we're going to transition over to my conversation with Pastor Wayne Berry. We'll be sitting in his office and I'll do his introduction there. All right, let's get started. Today is a it's a really special treat for me. I'm sitting in Pastor Wayne Berry's office at Springhouse Worship and Art Center. And this is a little bit of a hard introduction for me to do because I've known him for 15 plus years, probably pushing 20 years now with over 15 of that being on his worship team. He's the worship pastor at Springhouse Worship and Art Center. He's been over the years involved in multiple short trips to Africa that have really kind of keyed in a lot of times on his specific giftings. And I think that's really exciting. And he's getting ready to transition soon, which is really exciting for me. And it's part of why I wanted to get him on the show, because he's moving forward into what we would often view as retirement. He's in the process of moving out of his position at the worship pastor, but he's not retiring from that. What he's retiring to, if anything, is to full-time ministry in a more global uh, standing. He's he's looking forward to the opportunity of being able to take longer trips and to do a lot of stuff. And I, I don't want to steal all of your all of the wind no, out of your no, sails. It's not. just, yeah, this is this is super exciting for me. So, uh, Wayne, welcome to the show. I was, no, you weren't stealing anything. I was impressed that you could remember all that. In fact, I should have been taking notes so I could remember what happens next. <laughs> So I've given a little bit of an introduction, but I haven't really touched on your history and your family and stuff like that. Would you mind taking just a minute or two to kind of paint a picture of who you are as we get to know you? No, I'll be happy to, Brian. I uh, grew up in, make a, make a long story short, decade, decades of a story short. I grew up in Tennessee and grew up in the church, was saved at nine and around 15, 16 or so. I left the church primarily because of in retrospect, because of left-wing politics and music, those two things, neither of which were scratching my itch in the church, I guess. And I ended up involved in a musical career that took me to New York and then on to California. And I spent about 15, 16 years as a prodigal, developing a craft and working on a musical career. And then about, gee, almost 40 years ago now, the Holy Ghost kind of pulled me up short and brought me back to Tennessee. And I ended up coming back into the fold and becoming part of the church. 
got married. Jean and I have been married 36 years. We've reared two children that are both grown now. They're both back in the area. Our son was on the mission field in Zimbabwe for three and a half years, and he and his Zimbabwean bride came back in January, so we're all basically in the same locale together. And for the last 21 years, as you were referencing, I've been the worship pastor here at the Springhouse Worship and Arts Center. And beyond that, the other thing that would interface with that whole process would be the last 12 years, I've been really active on the continent of Africa as a, I guess I would call it a worship evangelist. I've been going back and forth at least twice a year for the last decade plus in conferences and workshops and seminars in urban areas and also in the bush or in rural areas in six different nations in uh, Africa. And that's basically the long and short that got me to here. Yeah. So as I'm thinking about that, and, you know, like I mentioned, we had this kind of planned out, but as I'm, as we're <laughs> but, talking, things are just taking another shift because, you know, you've spent a number of seasons, if you will, involved in ministry in Africa. You've also been here. One of the, I guess I'm wondering if, we, if you'd be willing to share with us maybe one story of some of the things that happened while you were in Africa. <laughs> Yeah, uh, of course I'd be willing to. The <laughs> thing is, I have to got to edit that down and close close the number of mental screens oh. and figure out which one to draw from. Maybe it would be better to just kind of focus on how you got to Africa because you didn't just decide to go, right? No, no, no. Actually, what happened was my wife was the most stunned. I think about the whole process. I am saying all this in retrospect. I, it took me forty years to get to Africa the first time. Mm. But it wasn't in my heart to go as some sort of mission work or to become a missionary to Africa. I I had been gathering information and burden and insight about Africa, not really knowing that I had been. Hmm. It was just sort of in my path, and I just began to take it in. And I had this huge reservoir of information about the continent. And I carried it for about 40 years. I had a longing to go, but I wasn't really, I can't say I wasn't aware of it, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't a high priority. It was more like, I know I'm supposed to go. I just don't know when. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And then about a dozen years ago here at the church, a situation came up for a mission trip to happen. And our senior pastor, basically turned to me and said, you you need to take this trip. Wow. And within about four days of that, the funds for that first trip came <laughs> in. Uh, I didn't even solicit for them. Actually, I don't even think you would know this. Someone who was visiting the church had been at the church maybe six or eight times. In the week that pastor said, you need to make this trip, in that same week, he asked for a meeting with Pastor about unrelated stuff. And in the meeting, he said, I feel like we're supposed to support something at church. So we've got this money, and you should use it however you see fit. And within like 72 hours, that money ended up being the funding for the first trip that we took to Africa. I went with a team of 19 folks from the church. And... On that trip, which was to Kenya, we went to be with the Maasai. We were way out in the bush, seven hours away from the nearest paved road. And one evening before we went to bed, I was standing out under the African stars. And I just sort of was musing to myself. And I just said, I wonder if I'll ever be back Mm. in Africa. And that was in September It was in September, the following year. Well, January the following year, I made my second trip. And then August of of the following year, I made my third trip. So in less than 18 months, I had been three times. And now I've been, Lord willing, we're going to return in March, and that will be my 37th trip. So all of that was ordained of the Lord. And it has just, not only was it, certainly life-changing. It just has continued to reaffirm 
that we have a purpose and a calling to go there, not so much live there, but certainly go and deposit mm-hmm. there, deposit and receive. Because functionally what I do there, uh, I used the term earlier, worship evangelism. I, I basically serve as a, a worship pastor, a worship teacher, a teaching Levite for not only the musicians and the worship teams and uh, and the worshipers there, but for the congregations at large. And I also have interaction with other pastoral leadership, whether it's a conference. It may not necessarily be a worship conference. It may be another themed conference. And I go as a basically an American component mm-hmm. to that. Okay, so I'm thinking 36 trips so far, 37 coming up. There have to have been some seasons or some times when you either stepped out in faith or had to continue walking in faith. Is there maybe one of those stories that you can pick out and share with us about how God came through when you had to walk in faith? Well, yeah, the the reality is in terms of faith walking, almost everything we do in our Christian walk is a, a faith walk when you break that down. But mm-hmm. but the sense of provision, uh, not only economically, but health and logistically and opportunity. Mm-hmm. In other words, wanting to go, having a call to go, and having the opportunity to go because you've been asked to go or, if you will, given an open door mm-hmm. or an open invitation. When you can come, let us know, and we'll set something up. Those all, all of that mixes together with faith. All, the, the logistical planning for trips is a huge step in faith because depending upon the mechanics of how far out you know you can book things, then you've got an issue about stewardship in terms of the the further out I can buy purchase flights, right. the cheaper it'll be, and that translates to stewardship because there's an aspect of preparation that requires you to move in faith going, I'm going to go again, I just don't know when, and I just don't know how. So what we've actually done in terms of the ministry in Africa is I've basically done two things. One is every trip we take, we take as if it's our last trip. So not only do I try to deposit all the seed that I'm carrying, I try to take as much from the trip and bring back with me Mm -hmm. spiritually as I can because I don't know if I'll ever go back. And the other is I didn't really make a, it's not a fleece, it's not a deal with the Lord, but I basically basically said to to the Lord years ago, I said, if I'm healthy, if the leadership of the church will release me and the resources are available, then I'll go wherever you'll wherever you want me to go. I mean, it's not wherever you want me to go in Africa. Right. But that's just been the case for the last 12 years. It's it's always been Africa in terms of international ministry, with the exception of last January, I made my first trip to Cuba. Right. Some people that I'm, uh, ministry folk I'm involved with, have been going to Cuba for years, and they've been asking me to go. And uh, last fall, a bishop, Bishop Joseph Garlington, that I'm, linked to through Reconciliation Ministries International. He said, you need to take this trip. So since Bishop said that, he was a little more insistent. So I did that <laughs> thinking that thinking that Cuba was sort of a, how do I say this, kind of a international aberration because I'm, the only thing that really remains on my radar is Africa because it's just so huge in my heart and because of the way the Lord in faith has continued to keep those corridors open. Yeah. So you mentioned the health and the provision and stuff like that. I don't, I don't see that as a fleece. I see that as submission of you going, okay, God, as long as you provide the place, the money and the health so that I literally can do this, I'm submitted to following you. That's, yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. It, 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 for me, Brian, it functionally has to do with uh, the principle, the biblical principle of consecration. Mm-hmm. Consecration, at, at least the definition I use, is the setting apart of any person, place, or thing for acts of holy service. And that's a that's that's a big component in my life spiritually. Mm-hmm. So, in submitting to the Lord to an act of consecration, what I'm basically doing is what. Well, I'm, I'm only making this comparison because it's biblically accurate. When Isaiah said to the Lord, here I am, Lord, send me. Right. I'm functionally doing the same thing. I'm not qualifying it by going, here I am, Lord, as long as Africa's in the mix, send me. Right. I'm, I am, in fact, open-ended. I'm just more biased toward that continent. 
Right. As I said earlier, I, I was by, I was predisposed toward the continent of Africa for 40 years before I ever put my feet in the dirt. Yeah. So the Lord was clearly preparing me for that ministry. And when I came home and told Jean that, you know, the Lord was opening up a situation for me to go to Africa, and she said, really, or something that affects us. And then I offhandedly said, yeah, it's been in my heart for 40 years. And she said, how, <laughs> how come I'm just now finding this out? Yeah. And she's now, I guess she's been... Uh, she's been, I know she's been nine or ten times. She may have been a dozen times herself, which she, of course, never envisioned either. Right. You know, it was it was one thing marrying. I remember when I when we first got married, and the Lord called me into the pastorate. I came home and told her that, and in her mind, she said, "Okay, if I'm married to a pastor, then that means I'm going to become a." pastor's wife and she said she said internally she thought i i never i wasn't signing on for that right so the same thing happened in terms of mission work internationally right she she didn't know she was marrying somebody that had been longing to go to africa for 40 years so she's still finding we're still finding out what that means you know as you were sharing that it it reminded me of something that i i've heard pastor bruce coble share about God giving us the desires of our hearts. I think a lot of times we read that as Mm -hmm. God will give me the stuff I want. But what I see there is the story of God implanting that desire in your heart and then realizing it. No, that's, that's totally, I think that's completely accurate. The, the business about God giving us the stuff that we want is the fulfilling of the desires of our heart. Not only is that stinking thinking, it's lousy theology. It's, I mean, from my perspective, I, I think that it's much more accurate to say that what he does is he, if you will, he, he turns our hearts, you know, or our lifestyles as we yield to him. Mm-hmm. He turns us in, into directions that we didn't necessarily anticipate uh, for fruitfulness sake, for the, for the honor of the name of Jesus and for kingdom advancement. That's good. Yeah. So I've got just one more thing I wanted to touch on before we take our first break. And I, Are there cookies? In no cookies this time. <laughs> So as I look at your life, and this is certainly indicative of a lot of the people that I know, but one of the things I see in your life is rock-solid relationship with God, but an ever-transforming, constantly changing. And that's how I often see God in my own life as well. He's never changing, and yet always revealing himself differently. And I'm wondering, are there any key practices in your life that have allowed you to stay connected and yet malleable? Oh, goodness. Well, one would be... I guess I would define it as well. I, in terms of in terms of Wayne speak, I would define it as pondering. You know, so, some would say contemplation. You know, some would say study. I mean, there's several different categories for it. But this business about staying active and vital in matters of God's word and listening and listening in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I believe requires us to be diligent in how we educate ourselves, how we learn to not only discern what the Holy Spirit's saying, but how we functionally learn to pay attention to the planet that we're on. You know, there's a there's a place in the Gospels where Jesus is referencing learning to discern the times by paying attention to the elements. Mm-hmm. He's talking about seasons. And there's any number of places in Scripture where this whole concept of seasons, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to sow, time to reap, all right. of that dynamic is is underpinned in Scripture. And one of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to be as diligent as I know how to stay plugged in to the things of the kingdom as opposed to plugging in and unplugging and then having come back. Right. And I think the primary reason I've done that is because the 16, 17 years I spent as a prodigal, <laughs> when the Holy Ghost pulled me back in, I realized that it wasn't like I had uh, catch-up to play. It wasn't like I owed anything. It wasn't like I had makeup work to do. Mm-hmm. It was more like I need to be diligent about my future in the Lord because of the last, speaking as a prodigal, the last 16 or 17 years that I functionally, in the natural, mm-hmm. wasted. Right. Wasted them because I wasn't prayerful, wasted them because I wasn't in the Word, wasted them because I was serving myself rather than serving the kingdom. Now, the Lord turned that all around, and there's many things that happened during my years as a prodigal that have been major assets in my life on this side. Mm -hmm. But when I first made that turn to come back into the fold, I went, this is for real. I've got to attach myself to this. So that's been fundamental. And if, you know, if I was going to, if I was going to, 
put my teaching hat on, I would say anybody that hears this that needs encouragement that is younger than I, I would encourage you to be faithful in season and out of season. Mm. That's good. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward what's going on now and then what's coming in the future. Sure. Good. Hey, Engaging Missions listeners. This is Jim Baker from episode 119. Thank you so much for being a faithful listener to this show. Brian has been a huge encouragement to me personally and to my podcast, Doing Ministry Well. After a long hiatus, we finally have some new episodes up, and we'd love it if you check it out over at doingministrywell.com. That was Jim Baker of Doing Ministry Well. If you haven't already, I'd like to recommend that you go ahead and check out his podcast, especially episode 40, because in episode 40, I'm the guest. He turned the tables and got to ask me questions for his show. It was a great pleasure to do that, and I'm really glad that he's been able to get that up there. Also, I want to say welcome to a couple of new people who have either liked our Facebook page or have subscribed to the email newsletter, and that would be uh, Rachel and Jeff. So welcome. Thanks for doing that. If you're listening and you're interested in the email newsletter, you can find that at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And our Facebook page is engagingmissions.com slash F. That's the letter F for Facebook. That'll take you right there. So if you're interested in liking the page or subscribing to the email newsletter, you can do that right there. Also, I want to mention that I did get a couple of very kind iTunes reviews. I'm going to try and get the usernames there. I don't have real names, and the usernames are kind of interesting. One was from Old Sow, and the other one was from Andrew Lu. So if that's you and you're listening, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your feedback. I appreciate what you shared. And also, what you shared will help other people find the show and know whether it's a great fit for them. So thank you for taking the time to do that. I do hope on a future episode to actually be able to share the entire text of your reviews. But for this week, I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't want to delay that any longer. I really appreciate what you did. With that, we're going to get right back into this week's episode. All right, we're back with Pastor Wayne Berry. We're, we're getting ready to start talking about some of the stuff that's going on in his, his life and his ministry. I really enjoy these breaks because they're a great opportunity for me to catch up, but we're going to focus on the things for you. So Pastor Wayne, as we, as we start talking about your transition, we've already mentioned that you're not retiring from something so much as moving toward the next thing. Can you share a little bit more about what God's been showing you and what you think he's going to be doing in the next years? Sure, Brian. As I mentioned earlier, the uh, position I'm, I have here at Springhouse, I'm in my 21st year, and uh, I'll be here till the middle of next year, so I'll be halfway into my 22nd year. Prior to that, uh, and I've been serving in the capacity as a worship pastor, prior to that I was in lay ministry as a worship leader for 11 years at the church I was previously involved with. So I'm really going back close to 35 years serving in the capacity of, in the role of worship facilitator in the context of the church. And the outworking outside my, if you will, I'll put it in air quotes, outside my job description has been the situation that's opened up ministry-wise on a global level that's fundamentally based on some Two eight, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the people groups as your provision into eternity. I'm using Wayne speak there, but that passage has been a bedrock in my life in terms of ministering to people's people groups, not only you know in the states, but outside the states. And in the capacity of working on staff, the Lord has afforded us an opportunity to begin to build relationships over the last decade plus where the responsibility in terms of my gifting and the anointing over my life, such as it is, has been to do, in essence, the same thing wherever I am, but it takes on a different color depending upon where you are and how long you're there and whether you're dealing with cross-cultural ministry and so forth. And What's happened for us as we, in a sense, if I can put it this way, a- aging out, mm. the the role into the future is is being recast in terms of how our vision for what happens next is taking place. The years ago, in fact, we used it here at Springhouse. I had a song that was that the Lord gave me out of uh, Isaiah fifty four about 
stretching out the curtains of your dwelling place, stretching out your tent curtains, lengthening your cords and strengthening your pegs. And it has to do with that passage doesn't have to do with getting a new tent. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to do anything with moving the tent you have. That whole passage is dealing with enlargement, and there's a faith dynamic involved. If you read the, it's, uh, the first six or eight verses of Isaiah 54, has to do with moving in faith from where you are now to where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. But the going to be part isn't defined. So the only thing that's explained in those verses is there's going to be expansion taking place. The, the 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 nature of the expansion isn't clarified, but the need to get expanded is. Mm. So we're recasting the vision to basically be able to have more flexibility to honor the invitations that we have and the opportunities that we have in Africa mm-hmm. and Cuba as well. Maybe if Cuba comes back up on the radar, sure. So I remember as I think about some of our history, I know that years ago there was. Um, a very clear and very known call in your life to raise up other worship leaders and to, to pour into that. And at least at, at that time, in my perspective, being, well, I don't know, 15 years younger was pretty much, you know, Pastor Wayne's going to raise up the next guy to follow him. But what I'm seeing is that you're training and raising up worship leaders all over the world, not only by serving in a worship leader capacity, but also you offer training uh, on that kind of stuff, even if it doesn't look like classroom training. Can you maybe share a little bit more about that? I should write that down. That was excellent. I need to go back and listen to this. <laughs> It'll be available. You can do that. <laughs> I, I, could, I could put that on my uh, resume. Yeah. Uh, no, that's excellent, Brian. Yeah, let me try and respond to that. What what effectively has happened over the last 30-plus years is the Lord has moved me in in my <laughs> To the degree that I've been willing to yield and follow the direction of the Lord, the Lord has moved me through a process of of developing my giftings and discharging my duty as a worship leader. I basically evolved through that to become a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. And and I say it this way: if I'm if I'm teaching on this, you can you can be a worship leader and never be a worship pastor. But it's impossible for you to be a worship pastor without being a worship leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the as I read scripture, and obviously we're, we're not in a teaching moment here. But as I look at scripture, that process is a process that you, if you stay pursuant of what the Lord puts in your path, based on your giftings and your expertise and the opportunities that He gives you, then what you do is you become a leader of leaders or a teacher of teachers. And it's actually, actually what I'm talking about is discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to be a disciple, you have to be under someone that disciples you. So the role would be a discipler mm-hmm. to a disciplee. Now, discipler and disciplee are not in scripture, but the process is there. The, sure. the pattern is there. And what I've been doing is I've been training younger men and younger women in matters of Worship theology, uh, what you what you run into all over the planet because of the way the planet is so wired into communication, mm-hmm. and and if I might say it this way, into a into a model that has with it some aspect of looking and feeling and sounding and tasting like entertainment. I'm not not evaluating people's hearts. I'm just talking about the way it's perceived. Mm-hmm. Most people involved with feeling like they're called to be involved in worship, do that predicated on whether they sing and play or, you know, Mm -hmm. engineer, based on the mechanics of how your giftings work. And as a result, you've got the body of Christ is full of people with all kinds of talent and anointing and gusto to discharge those duties for the kingdom. But they have little or no theology about why they're doing it. And that's fundamentally because there's so few worship pastors that have put in the time and the prayer and the energy and the struggle to figure out how to try and articulate theology that can be applied to guitar players and alto singers and choir directors and keyboard players, Mm -hmm. especially in Africa. You've got an incredible resource pool of talent, creative talent that's yielded to the kingdom, but very few teachers because that's a role 
It's, that's a role that just, go, in a sense, goes begging. So the Lord's affording us an opportunity, I think, to continue what we've been doing for the last decade, to train up the people that we're involved with. And what happens in terms of the mechanics of that is the Lord has allowed us to build relationships. That just, just sort of an, as, as an aside to this, in the, in the years that I've been going, there are people now that, that we're involved with over the last 10, 12 years, that when we met, they weren't even in a romantic relationship with their mate. Mm -hmm. They've met, fell in love, got married. They now have two or three or four kids, and the husband and or the wife are both in ministry, and they've planted either one church or they've satellited out into other churches Mm -hmm. in the last decade. It's unbelievable. I've got got grandkids (laughs) all over Africa because of their moms and dads that have been in relationships with me. And who I'm primarily mentioning there, those people, those people are pastoral leaders. They're not necessarily the worship ministry people. Mm-hmm. So there are two categories. There's a relational connect to pastoral leadership, the Ephesians 5-0 ministry gives, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's going on simultaneously with training up the rank-and-file musicians, right. the Levites. So let's clarify. When you say grandchildren, these aren't your literal grandchildren. <laughs> Make sure that's clear. Pastor Wayne is, is creating spiritual grandchildren. <laughs> right, right, right. There's a metaphor involved there. Yeah. If we had a, a, you know, if you could see what we're doing, I'm drawing this diagram on a board. This yeah. explains this out. So thanks, Brian, for that. Yeah, I, I like that. So what you're talking about doing as you go forward, this is something that's really exciting. And it seems like it's something that's really specific to the time in which we live. So if you look back 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, somebody didn't work their entire life and then retire into full-time missions work with the ability to travel like you're doing. What, what kind of opportunities is this opening up for you? And to, to be a little bit crass, perhaps how, how is this going to be funded? (laughs) There's the faith word. Yeah. The faith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, in in recasting the vision, what the what the Lord has shown us to do in terms of the paradigm we're working with is rather than present what we're doing as a series of short term missions, mm-hmm. which is effectively what I've been doing for the last decade plus. I've been taking these trips, but I've been coming back. Mm-hmm. to a staff position and, and job responsibilities in the house, in our local church. And that's, by the middle of next year, that's going to phase out because we are moving out of that, transitioning into this next role. And what the Lord impressed on us to do is recast an understanding that you don't have to go to the mission field in terms of moving right. to become a missionary, nor do you need to be necessarily perceived as someone that takes short-term mission trips because that's not what we're about to do. What we're about to do for the next, well, from March of next year through March of 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, Lord willing, I know what I'm going to do in terms of mission outreach. The, uh, The opportunities are there, the bookings are there, the invitations are there and confirmed. So what we're doing is we're, soliciting for resourcing for a year's worth of ministry in Africa. But that doesn't mean we're moving to Africa to do it. We're still going to be based here. We're not leaving this church. We're not leaving our home and our family here. Mm -hmm. We'll be gone. We'll be gone for extended times, but the times won't be much longer than the duration that I've already been involved with for these last 35, 36 trips. So in order to do that, we're trying to reacclimate folks to understand that we're not asking for pledges, like monthly pledges, to cover mm-hmm. us while we're on the mission field. Mm-hmm. Because our lifestyle is already covered in terms of what we're doing in terms of retirement and how how our investments work, how our Social Security works. Gene and I have a, a fixed budget future that we're moving into, which has nothing to do with funding mission work for the kingdom. Right. So we're trying to educate people to understand what we what we need to do is we've fixed a budget for 12 months of ministry internationally, mm-hmm. uh, and we're asking people to help fund that so we've got that budget nailed down, set those funds aside, mm-hmm. and go for the next 12 months. We know what we'll be doing, and anything that involves economics, 
will draw down out of that resource pool. Then in conjunction with that, we've basically set up a ministry covering called Outbound Ministries International, which channels back in through uh, Springhouse here at the church. And any and all funds that come in will go into that resource pool and we'll just draw down from there depending upon when the trips come. We have a we have a three week trip in March. We have a six week trip in August and September next year. And then in twenty eighteen we have a four week trip in March of twenty eighteen. After that, we'll see. I mean <laughs> you know the part of how part of how this faith dynamic works is the Lord can show you the end from the beginning. He's certainly able to do that, but more often than not, as you know, oh yeah, he'll he'll provide stepping stones. And when you step out on one stone, the stone that's going to happen next, you don't see till you get to the stone that he's illuminated for you. So what we've basically got is we've got a pathway to follow that gets us at, at this point, as of today, gets us to the end of. March in 2018. And all that, just to get chapter and verse with you, all that underpins out of Psalm 84, 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart you have placed the highways of Zion. They go from strength to strength, moving along that corridor till each appears before God in Zion. That, that's been a, uh, underpinning in my life as well in terms of forward forward motion in terms of walking out one's faith. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple different directions I was thinking about going as you were sharing that. It's it's tough to choose sometimes because there's so much meat there. <laughs> as I'm thinking about this, one of the things that really excites me is the opportunity to know that your living expenses are covered. And it's really the ministry expenses that you're looking for. Obviously, God's provided both of those, but it's it's a really interesting mix. What What kinds of opportunities do you think that'll open up for you? Well, let me come at it this way. It, my job, my salary, my employment, which is I'm using those words on a on a practical level. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not avoiding Christianese in terms of anointing and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but the practical aspects of the employment that I've been involved with as favored as we've been and as essential as that's been and as thankful as we are for that at my age coming into the season. Oh, I'm, I turned 70 last May, by the way, it's important to what I'm about to say at the season we're at in our lives, the nature of what we're doing job wise has been an encumbrance. Now I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's not been a hassle or a problem, but there have been limitations or if you will, restrictions predicated on, how long I can be away, what my responsibilities are here, who runs the department that I'm pastor over, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really been the case. Well, it's been the case here for 21 years. And in the preceding 11 years when I was involved in worship ministry, I worked in what would commonly be called a secular job. Mm -hmm. So I had a job with responsibilities and income and everything that I did in terms of serving the church, I did in lay ministry, which mm-hmm. is, the church is replete with that. That's There are categories all over the church where that happens. But to be in a situation where how we spend our time isn't overtly predicated on where our weekly checks come from, we've never experienced. Right. I mean, the, the last time I was close to doing that is when I was a prodigal <laughs> in the music business right. going, who needs money? And living off of royalty advances and recording deal front money. So I'm going back well over 40 years since I've had the opportunity to go, well, now what? And I don't mean now what, like, gee, what will we do to feed ourselves? Right. Now what will we do with the ministry you've placed before us since there is less to encumber us? Right. And it's, a, it's incredibly exciting at my age to face that that opportunity. And it's also very challenging. Yeah. Not because of fear or apprehension in terms of, well, who will pay the mortgage? Because our house is paid for. We don't have a mortgage. So what we can effectively do is we can go open-ended anywhere the Lord sends us as long as we've got the resources to do that. Because the Lord's not saying, sell your house and use the equity in your house to go 
gallivanting around the planet for Jesus. Right. He's not saying that. So our, again, I'm going to put this in air quotes, our security, if you will, in terms of lifestyle, is in place. Right. But how we spend our energy and our effort and our desires and our motivation for the kingdom, just matter-of-factly, the bottom line is, if the resources are there to do that, if the dollar resources are there to do that, we'll send you a postcard. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much I want to key in because that's such a deep concept. As you were sharing that, I'm thinking about the children of Israel after they're released from bondage. And I I say bondage, you know, I, I realize it's different, but they had to learn how to walk differently because everything about their life changed With that, though, we are going to need to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward the listeners. Okay. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show. Um, For the past six years, we've, we've been a part of Team Uganda. And so kind of what we were doing is on our way back from some of our mission trips is we were kind of stopping off in Europe. And uh, we just began to feel a real burden for the Europe, European continent as a whole and, and what was going on in Europe. We see, we see extreme uh, just darkness there, and there's, a, there's just a, a real need for the gospel to be kind of re- revitalized in these areas. And so as we begin to really get involved in No Place Left uh, Tulsa in particular— and beginning to try to figure out how we take these principles that we've been using overseas here locally— uh, we begin to see that the Western context is is a little bit different than it was in Africa. And so we really saw kind of a, a mirror of what was going on or probably what has already happened in Europe is starting to happen in the States. And so we really wanted to become experts and, and practitioners in these tools to be able to apply them in, in the Western context. And so we just really begin to pray, would you know, if God would have us to, to be these, these missionaries who could use these tools here in the States, where would be the best place for to, to learn that. And, and Europe seemed to be just a, a kind of a no brainer for us. And so we started, uh, we went on a trip to, to Dublin, Ireland and started meeting with key leaders there and really just were amazed at some of the, the stats that we were hearing. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the engaging mission show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Pastor Wayne Berry. He's just, seriously, he's blowing my socks off as, as he's sharing. It's just, it's sparking all these other things that I want to talk about, but we don't have time to do that today. So Pastor Wayne, as we get into this last section, we're focusing on the listeners, primarily people who are called into the marketplace or who are perhaps bivocational. A lot of times in that kind of situation, it can start to feel like what you're doing in the marketplace really doesn't matter for you, the kingdom. What would you share with people in that situation? Oh boy, I, I, right off the top, I'd say that's a mistake. <laughs> don't think in those terms. There's a Actually, there's two books. There's a book called Kings and Priests, written by David High, H-I-G-H, that is probably the best book I know of to deal with that. Uh, and fundamentally, what that book, it's a small book, easy read. It deals with this premise, the premise being that kings gather provision and priests cast vision. One is provision-based, the other is vision based and i'm i'm not i'm not alluding to the priesthood of all believers because we don't have time to do that and that's i'm not trying to develop a theological case but the book in essence was written by a pastor that had served in the pastorate for a number of years and had a position and had a theological predisposition to thinking that lay ministry he, he wasn't thinking it was inferior at, in any way but he was thinking lay ministry is one thing and full-time kingdom ministry is another thing, and circumstances in his life changed, and he found himself as a parishioner as opposed to a pastor, and he went back into what we would commonly call the secular marketplace. And the Lord just gave him insight about how to approach that, Mm -hmm. how to view one's role functioning for the kingdom outside of for lack of a better term, paid staff positions, right. paid ministerial positions. They are, they are different roles, but the roles are essentially connected. And in essence, I think where I would draw from that 
without trying to get, you know, jump off a, a high cliff into a, like a teaching pool here is this, the, the passage in Ephesians that deals with the fivefold ministry gifts. And it basically, in essence, says that the fivefold ministry gifts have been positioned, given to some for the equipping of all mm-hmm. in the church. And there's about five or six verses that run sequentially. Right. And what they say is the, the, the fivefold ministry gifts are there to equip all the saints so all the saints can all function based on their giftings and their talents and their resources and their opportunities so that the whole church then functions at levels of maturity where everything is running the way it should in the context of the church. And the church fulfills its duty on the earth, the church at large, the church worldwide. What doesn't happen in that passage is it doesn't say the fivefold ministry has a charge to equip everybody and then the, the fivefold leadership isn't connected to it. The whole point of the, that sequence of, pass, of verses is that the whole church is matured through the process of the whole church learning to work together. Right. So the fivefold leadership doesn't go, well, we've equipped them, now we've done our job, let's go do something else. We're, it's all taking place for the sake of the body. So everybody that's connected to either a local fellowship or the body of Christ at large has a high calling, which is how do I live out my responsibilities as a Christian in whatever place or circumstances that I find myself? Does that make sense? Oh, it it makes sense. And I I really want to kind of just double back for just a second, because you mentioned that the whole church functions as it should. And I think there are probably some people that would hear that within only the context of a local body. But I don't, but I I think it's broader than that, right? It's the, the local body functions sort of within its four walls properly, but also the body at large, the entire global church is raised up and is able to walk in unity and in love and to, can you say a little tiny bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a either or. Right. It's a both and. When you're talking about a home fellowship or a home prayer group mm-hmm. or a local church plant, or a denomination that you may be affiliated with that has either national outreach and or international outreach, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. Right. Believers are believers. Now, I'm talking in the context of Christianity. Sure. Okay. So those of one faith, of that commonality of faith, have a connection in the, in the spirit realm that's worked out in the natural, even if they don't know the people in other cities or other countries or other nations that never meet them. Right. You know, uh, you're ta- we've talked a couple of times here about things coming up that we didn't expect in this conversation, <laughs> right? You know the passage where David has got a band of his uh, comrades with him and they're going out, they're pursuing the enemy, and some of the fellows that are with him are too tired. Mm-hmm. They're whipped. Oh, yeah. And they go, we can't go any further. And so... They a couple of things happen. All the baggage that everybody's been carrying, the whole group, now they offload the baggage, which means that those that are vital and still able to pursue can actually be more aggressive in their, if you will, outreach, their goal, right? Because they got less stuff to have to carry. They're they're sort of stripping down to right. fighting weight, travel light, traveling light, and those that are watching the baggage that are too, for whatever reason, too exhausted to go, can now have the duty or the job description of take care of our stuff till we get back. So there's, they're all still part of the same group, but they've got two different, uh, uh, two different job descriptions. One's got to watch the baggage, and the other's got to go finish the hunt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when they come back, David says, let's take the booty that we've, uh, 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 let's take the spoil of what we've gathered and divide it equally. And the comrades that have been with him go off on David and they go, wait a minute, we're the ones putting in all the sweat equity. Why in the world would we pay these guys that have been watching our baggage the same share as ours? And David says, in essence, those who share, share alike. Everybody that's been participating in this has commonality of purpose in this, even though we were divided in how we fleshed it out. Right. Same thing's true about the body of Christ at large. You're, you're participating at the least, at the least, if you are prayerful for the nations. 
then you're participating in ministry to the nations, whether you ever set foot on another piece of soil or not. Yeah. Well, and let's talk for just a second about the prize, because when we talk about sharing in the spoils, I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, I get another notch in my gun belt or something like that. But that's not the prize. The prize is Christ. He's always the prize. And part of that prize is just getting to have the joy of knowing that you were involved in somebody else getting that prize as well. Scripture is full of Paul addresses that so many times over and over and over. The The prize, yes, the prize is Christ. The prize is the eternal promise. The, the prize is our blessed hope. Uh, you, you could say it this way. You could say the prize is I get to go to heaven. You can certainly say that. That's mm-hmm. that's not incorrect. But but the way the prize is, if you will, fleshed out right. is how did I live here in service for what I know I gained later. Right. Uh, Gene, Gene and I were running errands a couple of hours ago, and I made reference to the passage where Paul says, I count all things, all things, capital A, capital L, capital L. I count all things that could be viewed as benefit on the earth as dung, as nothing, as less than zero compared to what's ahead in eternity. Right. And I was, you know, I was, as I'm prone to do sometimes, I was probably making too much of that. Gene's probably wanting me to hush. <laughs> but I was going, do you, do you realize that when Paul is saying all things are nothing compared to the glory that's yet to be revealed in my life, he's not saying all the things in his life subjectively. He's saying all the things in any Christian's life that's willing to make that statement, which could mean those that have little still have an eternal promise to look forward to, and those that have much in the natural have the same dynamic. Right. It's it's the stand, the leveler, <laughs> the leveler is who for the joy that was set before him endured right. the cross. Right. Wow. How do we get here? I, I don't know. You know, I've I've got other questions I I'm supposed to get to. Right. Okay. I, I think we're probably going to skip a couple of those. I, I do want to ask though. Wow, there's so much I want to get to. I should have booked like six hours to talk to you. Well, rates um, go up. Yeah, no kidding. I'm trying to raise funds for Africa. <laughs> so what what would you share with somebody who's living in the U.S. or North America, and they're starting to realize that their neighbors, their coworkers, the people they see in the marketplace aren't from here? There may be another world religion, maybe a place where we think only missionaries go. You, re- you really want to go there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, my response to that, the whole political dynamic, the whole immigrant and race issue, the whole issue about uh, unanimity and commonality of purpose and who belongs and who doesn't belong. For, for me, actually, my go-to response is Second uh, Corinthians 5, the last four or five verses of that chapter that deal with reconciliation. The passage, paraphrasing, the passage says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. And then it goes on to say that in light of that, we, we as believers are given the ministry of ambassadorship in Christ Jesus and that the call of our ambassadorship is to be reconcilers for the unreconciled to come into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Now, let me parse that out a bit, okay? Please. God's ministry of reconciliation placed in Christ Jesus took place before any human being ever accepted reconciliation. Mm -hmm. God put reconciliation in Christ Jesus before Jesus ever went to the cross, the embodiment of reconciliation for all men everywhere, all the time, from the garden till the sky splits and Jesus comes back, is a done deal. So reconciliation is already available for everybody. The choice is, do you accept reconciliation or not? That's how you get reconciled to Christ, reconciled to God through Christ. But here's the catch. As believers, as that, uh, as that chapter unfolds, to get down to this ambassadorship for Christ, as ministers of reconciliation, 
those that are in Christ Jesus receive his ministry that he got from the Father. So if I say I am a minister of reconciliation, then my ministry is the ministry that I get because I'm in Christ Jesus, which he got because the Father put in in him. If I'm participating in reconciliation and I qualify how the reconciliation is to work, who gets it and who doesn't get it, when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, if I do that, I may be functioning as a reconciler, but I'm not functioning with the reconciliation ministry of Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus' ministry of reconciliation was given him by the Father to all humankind, not counting their trespasses against them. Right. So the deal was done before anybody said, I want to be reconciled to you, Father, Abba Father, through the Son, the blessed hope, the Messiah of mankind. Okay, now here's where the rubber meets the road for me. In the marketplace, in the secular context, in the pulpit, in the church house, across the board. If we have the ministry of reconciliation in Christ Jesus, which the word says we do, and we are then given ambassadorship in Christ to be agents of reconciliation, then the job description for every believer all the time, anywhere they are, is ambassadorship for the kingdom. So anytime any of us, any place we are, in any circumstances we are, anytime we ask this, I wonder what God's will for my life is. That may be a valid question, but it's a subordinate question that first has to be answered by what are you doing in terms of your ambassadorship for Christ? Because when you get saved, you become an ambassador of reconciliation for Christ, even if you don't know what those words mean. You get it because that's part of being saved. So anything that creates a barrier or a wall, wall, you want to edit that out, a restriction where we require any people or peoples to meet preconditions to be reconciled to Christ is, from my view, Brian, is a contradiction of that passage in Scripture. The, the, The higher call for us is to be agents of change through reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ, carrying forth the ministry of reconciliation, not counting people's trespasses against us or against him. And with a smile on my face and trying to be as lighthearted as I can into this microphone, the body of Christ needs to come to terms with how we manifest our job description, how we carry out, how we fulfill our job description as ambassadors for Christ. Right. Which, which may not have anything to do with who does or doesn't get entry into a particular country, right? It's all about this reconciliation, right? <clears throat> yeah, the, the issue about borders or, or citizenship or immigration papers. Right. Okay, those issues, those are, those are important issues, but they're important issues contextualized in what nation are you from, what nation are you wanting to go to, what's your purpose of immigration, what do you intend to do when you get there? All of those things have to do with life in the temporal, in the natural, on this earth. But those things, as important as they may be, are subservient mm-hmm. to citizenship in the kingdom of God. Because as ambassadors for Christ, Paul isn't saying we're ambassadors for Christ as Americans or Puerto Rican, well, that, or, or as <laughs> Canadians or Afghanis. He's not saying that. Or Romans. Our Romans. He's, well, more specifically Romans, <laughs> yes. He's saying your citizenship, your, your ambassadorship, your, your passport, if you, your, your governmental papers have the seal of the kingdom of God on them. You're a citizen of heaven. So your first charge is to carry out your, ba- let me, let me say it this way. If, if, if for some unexplainable, unfathomable reason, I get a phone call to uh, Monday from Obama. Mm-hmm. And he says, we've done background. Uh, we've, we've vetted you and we've decided, <laughs> boy, this is a pipe dream for sure. <laughs> we, we've decided that 
you would make a good ambassador to France. So come to Washington. We're going to put you through a training program, and we're going to send you to France as a U.S. ambassador for France or to France. And I go there. Somehow I get the gig, and I go. I move my family there. While I'm in France, my job is to represent America. Mm -hmm. It's not to convert French people into becoming Americans. I'm not even there to change the culture of France. What I'm there to do is represent America. That's why I was sent there as an ambassador from America. If we're ambassadors for Christ, then we're sent from the kingdom to uphold the kingdom wherever he happens to place us. So our larger charge <laughs> is to figure out how kingdom ambassadorship works. Oh, I won't get invited back. <laughs> Rather than to figure out how we make enough na space around the throne of God for national flags. Because there are no national flags around the throne of God. Because he's our sovereign. So wherever we look, I mean, let me throw this in. This is free, okay? I don't know. We were about to start charging. No, no, no. We're not going to. No, no. This, this, this part is free. There are a number. There may be an, uh, a long list of things we have no control over in our lives. But I've identified four really fundamental things that have to do with the essence of living. When we're born, where we're born, who we're born to, and what we physically look like. We had no say-so when we were born. We had no say-so where we were born. We had no say-so who our parents were, whether we know them or not. Right. And we have no say-so about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Blue eyes, tall, curly hair. Right. Okay, big ears, big feet, shapely body. None. We have no say-so in those four things. If we have no control over those essential things in our lives, why do we presume that our, our ambassadorship for the, for the kingdom of God as Christians, as born-again believers, why do we assume that somehow has to be contextualized in the nation of our birth that we had no say-so in? Yeah. What? what, what? Dear, dear listener, if you can come to, if you can send the answer to that question to Brian at whatever your address is, you know, uh, feedback at engagingmissions.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's, to me, it's a baffler. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not anti-nation. I'm not being unpatriotic. That, that is, that's a father's thing from what I'm addressing here. The, the reality is we try to take the kingdom and contextualize it in where we, where we live and move and have our being, where we happen to be. And it, I'm baffled by it. <laughs> I, I, I think much of the outworking of your original question is, you know, why does this give us, why, why does this create consternation and why are we troubled by this? I, th I think it's because we're, we're, we're allowing our theology to be reshaped by the life and times that we live in. Could I say it that way? I should probably stop. Okay. Well, with that, we're probably going to need to tie a bow on this, but I'm wondering if people, if they've heard a little bit about what you have going on or they want to talk to you more or something like that, is there a good place for people to connect with you? Yeah, the, probably the simplest way to do it would be to come back through the church. What's, what's our website address? SpringhouseSmyrna.com. That's all it is. SpringhouseSmyrna.com. You can see, I don't, I don't care. At my age, I don't. I try to. I try to keep as much space in my head as I can. You can come back through the church, uh, Springhouse Worship and Arts Center, at the uh, email address or the web address that Brian just gave you, or you could contact me through the church. Uh, the The church phone number. Let me do that. Uh, if they call the phone number, then they can channel things back into. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's six one five four five nine three four two one. If you run back through that number, then any routing that needs to happen to get us back, get you back to me can take place. And then if you've got any questions or comments or, or you want to make a contribution to, um, Outbound Ministries International, I'd be glad to put you on our newsletter mailing, which doesn't exist yet, but it will. <laughs> <laughs> That's a faith statement. Okay. Well, 
And for those of you who are listening, I will have all of that linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Wayne Berry. So that'll be nice and easy to remember. So if you're looking for that website or the book that he mentioned or anything like that, that'll all be available there. Pastor Wayne, thanks so much for making the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Brian. I'm honored to do it. Thanks. My thanks to Wayne Berry for being with us and also to you for joining us. I really do hope that you found this valuable and encouraging. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Wayne Berry. That's where you can connect with our guest as well as find links to valuable resources. Make sure that you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Tony Svensson about partnering over long distance as well as what God is doing in Ireland. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure that you don't miss that. And if you found this valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person that God uses to create a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into His kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.